What's up, Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast listeners? This is your host, Dr. Justin Rabinowitz. I have an amazing episode for you today. Uh, One of the amazing things about hosting this podcast is really being able to reconnect with people that, you know, I almost knew in a previous life when I was a student, when I was an athlete at Bridgewater Raritan High School, being able to reconnect and, and hear people's tell their story. So Corey Bruckner is no different. We went to high school together and graduated from Bridgewater Raritan together. I was on the football team and she was a cheerleader. And as she will get into, you know, her life after that started to kind of spiral out of control, um, dealing with addiction and alcoholism. Um, The good news is she's done an unbelievable job of through yoga and through fitness is, is really turning her life around. So she is now the yoga boutique manager at Lifetime in Bridgewater, and she is a four-time NPC fitness overall champion. So she competes in fitness. She uh, has utilized yoga and part of her recovery. Um, again, this is just a really great episode in the fact that Corey does an amazing job of telling her story, and she's so open and honest that I know this can help people out there that potentially have dealt or are dealing with something similar or have dealt with it. Uh, I know if you listen to this, you won't be disappointed. Enjoy. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast, aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. Corey, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So this is their first podcast? It is. It is indeed. It's going to be painless, I promise. (laughs) That's what they all say. Yeah, right? (laughs) So, you know, we spoke a little before the show started, but I'd like to start with you just kind of sharing your journey, and and then I want to take it from there. I'm sure I'll have some questions for you. So tell us where this all started. Well, a lot of it started back in high school when I knew you, but um, (laughs) I went to Virginia Tech after high school, and it was a, I don't want to say a quick downward spiral, but I definitely lost my way. Looking back at it now, I think a lot of it was missing the structure from cheerleading and gymnastics that I had when I was younger. And when I went to college, you know, not only was it the absence of the structure of practices and training and working out, but I didn't have my identity anymore. I really didn't know who I was. So drinking evolved over, you know, college and into my early 20s. And by the time I was 25, I had been hospitalized twice. I had a seizure from alcohol withdrawals, and then I had another incident where I actually passed out and cracked my head open on a curb from alcohol withdrawals, and it, it was time to make a change. And I went to rehab in Florida. Um, there's been two pretty significant instances in my life where looking back on it, I realized I could have made a left turn or a right, and thankfully I made the right choice. But in that rehab, three young men brought in a Narcotics Anonymous meeting on a Friday night. And I was 25 at the time, and one of my reservations was I didn't understand how I was going to go out and connect with young people anymore if I couldn't go out and drink. And one of the individuals is Jimmy Mack that actually went to high school with us. So I connected with him down in Florida completely by accident. And that was kind of like my first nod from the universe where I knew I was on the right track. So when I got out of rehab, I ended up going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings regularly, actually nearly nightly. And I think that gave me the structure that I was seeking at the time. I will always credit Narcotics Anonymous for giving me my life back, but I think fitness is where I really started to expand and build a new life. And I started to get into the gym. I physically, after a couple years of being sober, still wasn't happy with the way I looked. My nutrition wasn't great. And I knew that it was time to make a change. Can I just stop you there? Yeah. 
the difference between Narcotics Anonymous and alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous, tell me, tell me about that. Alcoholics Anonymous is pretty strict to alcohol. Narcotics Anonymous speaks more openly about addictions in general. I also struggled with an eating disorder, so I just felt more comfortable there. I went to both fellowships for a while. The demographic to me just seemed Narcotics Anonymous was a younger audience, and I just felt more comfortable there. Okay. And so you... You did, I'm sorry, rehab once or rehab twice? Just once. Okay, so you, how long was that process? I believe I was there for 32 days, and then I did an outpatient program when I got home for a couple weeks. Got it. And so take me back to how does the process go from saying like, all right, I think I have a problem to actually stepping into like, all right, I'm going to go to rehab. I'm, I'm a control freak, so it had to be on my terms. My parents had wanted me to go for a long time, and I did not co-sign that until I was ready. I picked a program in Florida partly because I just wanted to get away and start over. Mm -hmm. But I think that's one of the first things that they tell you is start to change people, places, and things. I was really lucky in that when I went away to Florida, my parents moved me out of the apartment I was in at the time and back into their house. So even though it wasn't a quote-unquote fresh start when I came out, Mm -hmm. it was still a new location, a healthier location, and kind of a change of pace. So this was no secret that Obviously, if your parents wanted you to go a few times, they kind of, people oh, yeah. around you knew what was going on. Yeah, for on. a couple of years. Okay. And and what was that like when, you know, everyone around you knew and they saw you kind of going down that path, but you weren't ready or well, tell me, tell me. What... The best way I can describe how it felt is when you watch a cat get backed into a corner and then they want to claw your eyes out. Like it's, the thing about addiction and I think people view it as people are good or bad is, is you're sick, but you're not unaware. And I think it's that guilt and shame that starts to eat people alive. I knew that my behavior was destroying people. I felt terrible about it, but it still wasn't enough to change it. As crazy as that sounds, you you have that feeling in your pit of your stomach. You still know the difference between right and wrong, but something more powerful than that is choosing you to act differently. And you had graduated from college? No, I only went for two years. Okay, so you gra- so you came home and you were working mm-hmm. at that point? So so you were functioning still, sort of? More or less. It started to, to trickle toward the ends, but yeah, I was still waking up and going to work most days. There was definitely a, a pretty significant point, though, where it went from a choice to a physical dependence. Where I'd have to wake up in the morning and drink a little bit just to combat the shakes and the sickness that came along with it. Do you remember like that happening and being like a piece of your brain being like, okay, this is changing? Yeah. Um, And I physically felt the difference. But at that point, when you're trying to, to hold on to something like that, I genuinely was so hopeless at that point. I didn't think there was a way out. Gotcha. I didn't really believe that I could live without it at that point. But part of that is the physical dependence on it, too. You're so used to feeling so terrible, you don't remember what it feels like to wake up and feel great in the morning. And you mentioned something about how you weren't sure how you were going to connect with other people your age without it. So, you know, was this something where you were going home and drinking in your apartment or your room or it was more of like a social go to the bar? Oh, no, I was boring. It was definitely home by myself. I was too I was too embarrassed to drink the way I wanted to around people. Mm-hmm. And at that time, if you like... Could you like have a beer and stop or if if you started, it was like... If I started, it was off to the races. There were times I wouldn't drink at all if I went out with people, if I was driving. I thankfully was cognizant enough to know that I wasn't going to stop. So if I was driving, I didn't drink at all. But if I went out and had a ride, it was... I mean, that's part... Is that different than some people that struggle with addiction? The fact that you still, I mean, which I can appreciate because you still, even though you're like, okay, I have an issue. I'm not going to put other people in danger. That almost seems like super mature because a lot of people that have a problem don't. They just they right. just function normally and then they end up 
hope, God forbid, you know, hurting other people. Yeah. Well, I think my habits were so terrible that I consumed so much alcohol in such a short amount of time. I don't think I could have driven if I wanted to most of the time. Right. I gotcha. Okay. And so the rehab process, when you're physically there, is it just brutal? Honestly, I loved it. I wish I could have like a refresh weekend once a year. It was incredible. Tell me why. Part of it was just like that. Like I said, you started to wake up in the morning and feel good. You know, I struggle with an eating disorder, so I went to a dual diagnosis facility. So they addressed food and nutrition as much as they did the addiction component of things. Yeah. But I was finally around people that understood. Gotcha. So, so you, so it was a place where when you got there, you kind of felt like, okay, yeah. this is where I need. You to got, go. you almost felt like you belonged. Not that you necessarily wanted to belong there. Yeah. But it was that sense of community you didn't sure. have because you were isolated and embarrassed by your behavior for so long that people finally accepted you for who you are. Which we'll get to in a, in a little with what you've done with yoga, but I know that community aspect that you just mentioned, which we all kind of crave, um, where you got it starting there. Um, you mentioned as it was getting to the point where it was physically causing the shakes and things like that. How do they like, how do you like wean off of that? What, is, what happens? I honestly, I don't know what they give you in the hospital, but it's, it's a process for sure. I do know that alcohol and benzodiazepines are the only two things that you can die from, from withdrawals, but it's dangerous to do on your own. Sure. I didn't understand that at the time. I just wanted the pain to stop, whether that was. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, and so let's, Go back. I know I kind of cut you off as you were going through your journey, but now tell everyone what you do now and then we'll kind of backtrack into how we got there. So I'm the yoga boutique manager at Lifetime in Bridgewater. Mm-hmm. So I've been with the company for two years now. I did my yoga teacher training there and then I began teaching and then I evolved into this manager role. So That's I run awesome. the yoga business and have a team of incredible employees. That's so. great. Um, okay. So then let's go back. So you get out of rehab, you're sober yep. at that point. And what year is this? Uh, 2012. Okay. So we've got eight years to kind of figure this out. So 2012, <laughs> you come back, you get out of rehab, you move back to New Jersey, you stayed in Florida? Um, no, I came back to New Jersey. I moved back in with my parents. Thank God they would have me. Mm-hmm. That was another another ego blow, but mm-hmm. I was better off being there and being accountable than any place else I could have imagined. So I did a couple years of Narcotics Anonymous. I was going daily. I will always credit that fellowship with saving my life. Mm-hmm. Again, I think a big draw there for me was the community aspect. Mm-hmm. You know, you had friends. And finally, it was people that were starting to choose to do the right things and taking steps to be better. Mm-hmm. What I will say, and this will probably come off more negative than I mean it to, but after spending, you know, night after night in church basements listening to people complain about their problems and you start to take a look at yourself, eventually you need to stop talking and start doing something. And the biggest thing for me was I still wasn't eating as well as I should have been. It was definitely an improvement, but still not great. And I wasn't physically active. I didn't love the way I looked. And that's kind of where the gym evolved. I joined a retro fitness on Black Friday. I guess that was 2014, Mm -hmm. 2013. And started running. I was running all all day, every day. Typical cardio bunny. I was a a chick and that's what I saw everyone else doing and I didn't know any better. Yeah. And then pivotal decision number two came. So the first aha moment for me was that moment in rehab when I ran into Jimmy. But the second was I was actually ordering clothing, a brand called Forward Uprising online. You know, the best way to get to the gym is to get excited about your clothes, right? Yeah. God forbid you just go for yourself. Yeah. But um, I was ordering from somebody who produced the clothing in Greenbrook. And mm-hmm. I reached out to him and said, if I can save you the shipping costs, let me know. And he said, do you lift? He said, I've never touched a weight in my life. No, I don't lift. And he said, why don't you come to Lifetime and a guest pass? And I went to Lifetime in Berkeley Heights, and the, the rest is history. So what happened from there? You went and you just started? You yep, know, and so I connected it? with him. His name's Ken, and we started lifting together. 
and I decided I wanted to compete in bodybuilding. I have a tendency to put the cart before the horse, so I decided that I wanted to be a bikini fitness competitor before I ever picked up a weight. So I kind of worked backwards from there. I was going to say, how long did you you literally went in and said, I'm going to do this before you even lifted weights? Yeah. (laughs) I did the same thing with yoga. I decided I was going to become the yoga manager before I had ever taken a yoga class. So So go back and talk to me. So how long did the journey, so you get to the lifetime in Berkeley Heights, you start lifting weights for the first time, and you've got to be sore as hell. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I was still pretty underweight. So I I prepped for my first show for about six months because I was so small. I think it was actually easier than I had anticipated it was going to be because I put on a little bit of size, but I was pretty lean to start. And the bikini girls tend to be the the least muscular of the group. So I competed in that first show. I didn't do really well. So literally was... you started six months later, you competed. Mm-hmm. Holy God. Yeah, my first show was in May of <laughs> 2014. And then I found a division called fitness. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what changed everything. So the fitness division, in, in addition to standing on stage in a sparkly bikini and spinning around, which those athletes put in a ton of work. Yeah. It almost seems like too much work for the 15 seconds that they're on stage. I got to ask though, going up on stage, was it like, all right, I've been through so much harder things than this. This is a joke. Or like, I, were you super nervous when you walked up on stage? I can't like, walk in heels. So I was more nervous about the shoes than anything else, honestly. Yeah. The thing is, is most of the hard work is done. Yeah. So if you can have that mindset that you're just going to highlight your, you know, your hard work and have fun with it, it's a great experience. Okay. And so you had a good experience the first yeah, time. Yeah, it was the it. best I had ever looked in my life. I was healthy. I was happy. You know, yeah. friends and family were there to support. It was awesome. That's awesome. But then I want I wanted more because it's it's me that that was never going to be enough. So I fell in love with the fitness division. In addition to the bodybuilding aspect, it's a two minute routine of push ups, gymnastics, cheerleading skills. People can kind of take it and make it what they want. Yep. And it's an incredible opportunity to build some physical strength in your body. But I wasn't strong enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was lifting. I wasn't sure. lifting heavy, but yes. lifting heavy and being able to. Do gymnastics, type, right. yeah, body weight, yeah, and for that sure. stuff's not like riding a bike. It was mm. not at thirty like it was when I was twelve. Let's yep. put it that way. Yeah. So that's kind of where the yoga piece of the puzzle came in. So did you yoga was was what got you there? Or did you have to go and do gymnastics? I actually competed for a full season. I did two regional shows and a national level show before I ever even stepped into a yoga studio. Wow. Once I decided I I needed a little bit more, somebody suggested I go, and I walked into my first yoga class, and I was like, "These are my people. I'm home." <laughs> At, in Berkeley Heights. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Okay, so so you went to your first yoga class, and you're like, "This is where I need to be." Yeah, it, I think for me, and I I've now that I've had the opportunity to speak to a lot of people about it, I think it's that missing link for a lot of dancers, gymnasts, cheerleaders yeah. in their adult life. Why? It's it's just that same physical connection. I think. Sure. But the component, and let's talk from a health perspective, because you have super interesting um, background being that, because we run into here at our practice physically, the people you're talking about, the gymnasts, the dancers, that all they do is yoga. And sometimes it actually makes them worse because they're almost, they don't have any strength. Right. You are doing both. So talk to me about, for someone that is like you, that came from that cheerleading gymnastics background, I know the yoga is the missing component, but you're already doing the weightlifting. So talk to me about kind of the balance that you find. I, I honestly, I think it's the perfect balance. So it depends on the type of yoga, but for me, the ideal day is a heated yoga class because it gives me a little bit of that cardio component. Flexibility and mobility because it's a warm room helps. And there's a little bit of a strength building component to it too. Mm -hmm. But in addition, we teach classes at Lifetime called Surrender. It's a yin-based yoga. So it's deep stretches held for three plus minutes Mm -hmm. in these shapes and it gets into fascia and connective tissue. Mm -hmm. So from a 
recovery and mobility mm-hmm. standpoint, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And mentally and spiritually, mm-hmm. you know, I think that the mental and spiritual component of yoga aligned with me with what I learned in the 12 step meetings, mm-hmm. the underlying principles of yoga and the 12 steps, if you read them side by side are almost identical. Okay. I gotcha. But you're still weightlifting, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So tell me what, a, what your routine looks like, or maybe if you were giving advice to, you know, your carbon copy, someone that was your physical makeup growing up, that was a gymnast dancer, that, you know, how would you instruct them to come? What's the ideal optimal? I think the biggest mistake I was making in the beginning is I thought that doing a full body workout every day with light weights would get me where I wanted. You know, quick bicep curls, do some squats with a light weight, move on to something back related instead of splitting up the body parts. So that was the biggest thing I learned was how to split that up. So I try to train arms, back, shoulders, legs, chest. I'll usually repeat whatever my weak area is that week and then try to give myself a day off. Now you talked about how you were underweight and you've, you know, struggled with eating disorders in the past. Mm -hmm. How's the, for someone that, you know, people that are generally skinny that want to gain weight, it's not like, first of all, it's not fun generally. People think it's like, oh, I gain weight, eat whatever I want. It doesn't really work that way, first of all. And the second of all, it's hard work. Just like it's probably, some people would argue it's harder to gain weight, good weight, than it is to lose weight. So talk to me about that for you specifically on how it's been. to. I have another coach now. His name's Jamie. He's incredible. But I think being on a nutrition plan, again, I, I'm good with structure. I'm mm-hmm. good with routine. Yeah. But it is it's is a lot of work. You know, five or six small meals every day for mm-hmm. the most part. You know, sometimes you quote unquote get a cheat meal. What I found is the healthier I've eaten over the past couple of years, mm-hmm. the worse I feel when I don't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, got it. So that's been hard. But I think mentally more than anything else, it's been hard to put on weight. I think progress pictures are the greatest things people can do for themselves instead of obsessing over the scale. Because if I look at the scale still, it messes with my mind. I've put on probably 40 pounds, give or take 30 to 40, Mm -hmm. since I quit drinking. Mm -hmm. My waist is smaller than it was when I was drinking because I was so bloated. So the the pictures speak volumes. The scale would mentally knock me out of the game for sure so you know because i've seen your your, the pictures the progress pictures that you post and you know they're it's incredible i mean you look awesome and i mean compared to being where you were like skinny and now you're fit right and i also you know i worked with a ton of crossfitters and people say good bad things about crossfit but i say i think the biggest positive of crossfit has become actually that it's become cool for women to lift weights yes do you deal with that a lot of like women that are like, I don't want to? Absolutely. Especially because I'm in the yoga studio most of the time. It tends to be people like I was more drawn to cardio. Yeah. <laughs> the way Lifetime and Bridgewater is set up where I work, the third floor is the weights. And most people joke like, oh, I can't go up those stairs. Yeah. But the I needed the physical strength for me before I developed a lot of the emotional strength. I think the fitness piece was the missing link. I didn't really love myself when I first started lifting yet. But mm-hmm. as I started to feel stronger in my body and see what I was capable of, that evolved into more, you know, mental toughness and strength in that aspect. I, I I see it all the time. Even some of the athletes that we work with that we're rehabbing and training the 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 men the boys kind of it's normal for them to lift heavy weights. The girls are like they get such a kick out of like when they're like, oh my god, I can lift that and like that bar with weight on it. Yeah. And you can see it like, oh my god, I didn't realize that I could do this, and it's like a thing. Yeah, it's you powerful. Know? It's very powerful. So I appreciate what you're saying on a mental, from a mental standpoint. Um, let's transition to 
you know, what you're doing at Lifetime in Bridgewater, how, is it a year or it'll be a year of the summer that it's been open? Yeah, we opened in July yeah, of last year. It's like the talk of the town. That <laughs> it definitely is. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so talk to me about, are you doing something specifically with a recovery, like uh, from an addiction recovery? Yeah, so once a month I offer a class called Recovery Yoga. It's kind of a yoga sampler of all the classes we teach yeah. at Lifetime. The idea behind it was I actually, one of the, men that run Somerset County Drug Court is a member at the club. And he invited me to just speak to drug court one day about, you know, fitness and recovery. Mm -hmm. And that kind of evolved into recovery yoga. You know, I'm fully aware that not everyone can afford a gym membership the second they get out of rehab. But as I said, I think it's really important for people to stop talking and start doing something. So recovery yoga is the first Sunday of every month at one o'clock. People who are not members and members alike can come in. It's a $10 drop-in rate. So they can come take the yoga class for the hour and then it gains them access to the club. So whether or not people, you know, not everyone's open to yoga and I understand that, but at least it's something different outside of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And if they play basketball or lift or hot tubs or swim or even just as crazy as it sounds, you know, a clean place to shower and a nice place to eat lunch, you know, it's been pretty special. How long have you been doing that? So I started in December. So we just finished our fourth session. So how do you incorporate... I guess the recovery aspect in the yoga, like what it, what is it? Talk, talk, talk. In yoga, we it. call it our Dharma talk. It's kind of the theme around the class. So I kind of pick the step of the month that month and kind of frame it around that. It's more, I would consider it more of a motivational type class than anything really strictly recovery related. But I've got little quotes and snippets I'll pull out of books and things like that. How how um how many people come to this? Um, the smallest we've had was 15. The most we've had was 28. So That's it's awesome. Been, yeah, it's it been pretty seems incredible. Seems like it's it's growing well, and you like doing it. Yeah, is it, is oh, it, absolutely. Is it like the, your favorite, almost your favorite? Oh thing yeah. To do? And it's it's nice to see people come back. I think that's been my favorite part so far. Is people that may didn't look like they loved it the first month have still continued coming. But it's yeah. a nice place for people. It's been a lot of members that'll bring guests, you know, family and friends that are struggling, just to have them do something together, whether yeah. they're struggling or in recovery. Has been special because those relationships are usually strained. I think people underestimate addiction that, you know, people look at it like the addict is the problem. It is really a family disease. Right. Because when we're struggling, we are like tornadoes and we will take down everyone around us too. So T- Tell me tell me about that. What, what do you what Well, do you I've lived on both sides of it. So I lost my boyfriend in July and he had his struggles. So now I've really gotten to experience both sides of addiction. But that fear that parents must live with when they're children are struggling I can't even imagine right especially now I mean things are a little bit different not that I want to say I'm different because I quote unquote just struggled with alcohol but the way the heroin and fentanyl epidemic is growing people are playing with a ticking time bomb right not that alcohol is any safer but I mean I think the problem (laughs) though is that alcohol is more accepted right right like you're not a drug addict if you drink too much until you really have a problem. Right. And I think it took a while for me to understand because the nature of an alcoholic is a little bit different. The things you have to do to support a $10 vodka habit a day is a little bit different than how people have to live to support a couple hundred dollar a day drug habit. Sure. And it's not that the people are bad. It's just that that's what they have to do to survive with what sure. they're given. So. Yeah. Um do you you posted on Facebook about it the the you know the opioid epidemic obviously you know for us here we're chiropractors we talk about trying to help people without drugs or surgery right. um, and we've had a we had a recent experience with someone who came in after going to the ER and it was just like she was vomiting all over I mean it was bad luckily she she did okay but um, 
what do you what do you see with that nowadays what do you what do you see with the struggles it's scary um you know i just watched the documentary the pharmacist on netflix and that was eye-opening and terrifying to say the least but i think at the root of all of it it's less about the physical pain most people are in that lead them there and more about trying to cope with the emotional pain whether it's trauma they had as kids or just insecurities people have i think they need to fix the stuff on the inside first and i think that's where yoga really resonated with me was you know People try to use the drugs because they don't love themselves. Nobody who genuinely loves themselves and is confident treats their bodies that way. It's right. that it really is that simple. So it's just uncovering what it is in that missing link. Do you is there a research or do you believe like in the addictive personality? Like at some point, it's something I've heard people say like, "Well, it's just kind of I did this and it turned something on." Or do you think it's more of like oh. we were talking about before of like they love themselves, don't really love themselves and this is I think it's a little bit of both I don't know that I would say I had an addictive personality as a kid so much but I mean I I definitely I'm addicted to the gym now it's it's something better but it's definitely still prevalent Uh uh-huh we had um Steve Drezeshevsky who's worked in this and uh, he was one of our earlier episodes and I asked him that question because he's his he has a podcast called extreme life but he was he talked about openly about his addiction struggle and I said has anyone ever said to you about like you know and now he's in the CrossFit and extreme and he, he dives with sharks I mean it's a lot and I said has anyone ever said like do you replace one with the other he's like some people would say that um, but it's interesting to hear you say that do you believe that that's the case like you've just now found a better addiction I think so I think if you told me I couldn't go to the gym anymore I'd have a meltdown similar to when somebody probably would have told me I couldn't have alcohol anymore eight years ago yeah for sure but I think you know it depends I think that's what yoga gave me was the ability to slow down and think about the whys behind them doing things like mm-hmm. we've all had a bad day and you want to go home and eat ice cream to feel better for or you sure. want to run to the mall and grab a pair of pants and suddenly those yoga pants made you feel better but, you know, where does that stop for people, whether it's gambling or sex or relationships or yeah. most of that stuff is just trying to fill that empty void yeah. one way or another. I, I, You're hitting on some, some great points. And I think the awareness that you have around it of there are acceptable addictions, like whether it is the gym or even shopping that people joke about. And it's almost like if that's you, you're lucky, sort of, but it can also ruin you <laughs> yeah. if it goes too far. And and you know, gambling and all that type of stuff. But we don't view some of those other addictions. I even think people, you know, come home from a stressful day and, oh, like I had such a stressful day, I need a glass of wine. And I, my brain's always like, is that really what we should be doing? Is like, I mean, you know, maybe you won't become addicted, but that's a coping mechanism. Right. You know, it's it's hide, It's not really dealing with the problem. It's, right. it, it's When you spoke to Chad too, and he had his struggles with gambling and it's, and then it went to alcohol and then yeah. it went to food yeah. and you know just kind of each one over and over you know over again and I think that's why I was lucky enough that when I jumped into recovery and stopped drinking I kind of found a way that allowed me to bypass some of those things sure so, you know. yeah so let's talk about wh- what do you want to develop now with this I mean it sounds like you're on a, on a great path you're enjoying the time at lifetime as as you know it sounds like the other part that you mentioned that so me being so involved in the fitness world, what you said resonated with me with, you know, the ability that this is a, a gym that allows people to actually have a career um, versus most people, like you said, teach yoga at 15 different places and it's right. not really stable. So that seems awesome. But what do you want to do going forward? What's your, you know, what's the next big thing for Corey? I would love to become a master trainer for the company. So the educational side behind what we do has really piqued my interest the more I'm learning about it. And just to continue to grow our community I can't believe the amount of people 
that have made genuine friendships inside that club. And it has been so amazing to watch it evolve. We joke there's a Facebook page that a member started. It's called the Ladies of Lifetime in Bridgewater. It's mm-hmm. got over 800 people in it. It's wild. But they motivate each other. Yeah. These people have made genuine friendships and they do things together now. And it's kept everyone on the right track. And it's kept us as teachers and employees inspired too. It's been really special to watch. That's awesome. So, you know, we have another summer to do fun events out by the pool and mm-hmm. yeah, start it's, to see it's, where it's I can. A, it's a great place. Um, tell us when you teach where we have so many of our patients and around here go to lifetime and maybe don't even know talk to me about the different options they have at lifetime or if they're not members what you offer them so we have an intro to yoga class we've got four a week that'll give people the basics a non-heated room a slow structure so it makes it more accessible to people that are new we teach a class called root which is more foundational a little bit of a slower pace we teach a class called flow mostly heated formats which is nice what's really unique about our flow style classes is as instructors we'll teach sequences to people and we allow them to move on their own for a little bit so we'll play some music we'll step back from speaking and allow people to just explore it's definitely intimidating in the beginning i was intimidated by it but when it becomes really special it almost becomes like a dance in your body the bigger why behind that is you start to say yes to the things you love and no to the things that you don't need that day. And that starts to translate for people outside of the yoga studio too. And that makes it pretty special. We have the surrender class, which is the yin-based yoga for deep stretching, dimly lit room, meditation. It's super special, great for recovery and just a nice way to relax and wind down. And then we teach a class called Fire. It's my personal favorite. I'm actually, we call it an Elevate Ambassador. So I'm a brand ambassador for the company in that fire yoga it's a warmer room than most but not as hot as our heated classes and it's a fusion of hit cardio and yoga interesting it's a fun one wow how many classes a week do you do you teach four currently okay um now a lot of people ask if you're a member of lifetime do you pay for the yoga or is it part of the membership all of the classes are included so all of our large group training classes are included there gotcha and are there options that people can do like if they want something a little not as large group that they yeah can... we can do small groups and we do private lessons too of so. yoga at yep. the at lifetime there's 40 47 yoga classes a week right now so they've got plenty of options wow. how many instructors <laughs> Uh, 13. And so talk to me a little bit about how people be- can become a yoga instructor. Do that become certified? Do they be trained? So it's lifetime? a 200-hour certification. Pretty much anywhere you want to teach in the country, that base certification is 200. So we offer that training program at Lifetime. We're actually kicking off our first offering in March. We do a second in September. Mm-hmm. So it's 200 hours. It's an intense program. It's the greatest investment I've ever made personally and professionally. When I jumped into my certification, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to teach a class, but I knew I wanted to explore the mental and spiritual side of things as much as the physical, and it was really transformative. So beyond that, they they can apply. That's awesome. Yeah. When are you competing again? Um, Looking at September, maybe. So about 24 weeks out. I competed in October, and I won a show in New York, and I qualified for nationals for this 2020 year. Wow. So What's the prep like? Is it, I mean, as you get close, is it just like your whole life or is it not as bad as people might think it's kind of evolved into my lifestyle now that what I really need to do differently is my diet more than any of the because I mean the only two things you can really manipulate to start to lean out are food and cardio gotcha lifting weights aren't really going to lean you out so you start to dial back on the food a little bit and start to increase the cardio but is it is it hard for you, knowing your background of having some of the eating dis, uh, issues or just so to start manipulating your food? 
honestly, I'm still eating regularly. It's just the portions are a little bit smaller. Gotcha. I think the mental aspect of it is where it gets people. I've seen it in guys for sure, but definitely more in females. It's hard to work that hard and look that good for a day or two or three, and then it's over. Sure, yeah. You know, mentally, I think it's challenging for anyone, eating disorder background or not. I think people... Females in particular tend to compete thinking it will fix some of their food issues. Yes. And it's a slippery slope. I would say people should definitely start to get that under control first. People see you on stage and you mentioned it quickly, but I want people to understand you said work that hard to look that good for like a day. Why? Why Why is that? Why can't you sustain that? Your body fat's too low to be healthy. So I'd, if I had to generalize, I'd say most women are probably somewhere between 8 and 12% body fat and it's just too low. When you're competing, you're 8 to 12%. Right. Mm-hmm. The average female walking around that's, I'd say, in shape is in the mid 20s, probably, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so you're basically saying that you work to get to like one day where you can be that, but essentially, like the dehydration, body fat cut. Right. You can't, you can't live like that. Right. And depending what division people compete in, they start to manipulate their salt and their water and they start to pull water out of their diet. So yeah. their muscles look harder and drier. And yeah. obviously no one can walk around dehydrated for more than. It's a, uh, it's, it's biochemistry at the highest level. It's, yeah. it's super interesting when, when, I, as I started to learn more about that, and I don't know a ton, but some of my friends that work with MMA fighters, getting their body weight down, losing 60, 70 pounds over the course of the training, then putting on another 20 after they weigh in 24, 48 hours later. It's insane yeah. to think about, but that's the numbers I said are real. Mm-hmm. That's what people do, and that's what you can do. Which, uh, first of all, it can't be great for you, but it's it, it's crazy that your body can actually do that, right? Yep. And you start learning more about yourself than you Absolutely. ever than you ever could. Um, tell us where we can find you. I follow you on Facebook. Tell us, tell the audience where if they want to follow you on social, where they can find you. Instagram's my biggie, Corey Bruck B R U E C K underscore fit. Perfect. So Instagram, and if you're a member at Lifetime or you're thinking about joining and you want to do yoga, you are the... Uh, I am the yoga manager. You're the honcho. So you can email me, cbruckner at lt.life. So if you love yoga, email Corey. If you don't, don't email her. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was fantastic. You yeah, did thanks great. for having me. You never did a podcast? No, sir. All right. Well, I think you've got a, you, you, you're going to get a couple more invitations after this because this was really good. We appreciate you sharing of your course. story. It was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash ourservices. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the Talk to the Doctor First button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.